0: Well, Welcome to Epic. My name is Jake Snowden. I'm one of the executive leads here on staff at Epic. So thank you so much for worshiping with us today. And if you are joining us from home, thank you so much for worshiping with us today, wherever you are. Well, today we're wrapping up our Googling God series. And the question that we're going to be asking Google today is, is God anti-science? Now when I typed this question into Google, I saw a few sites near the top of the search results that I was familiar with. Uh, Some of those sites here were AnswersInGenesis.org. That's a great site. Another site here is GotQuestions.org. Those are some very apologetic type websites that I, I visit frequently. If you've never explored those sites, I highly recommend them. And what I love so much about those sites is it puts uh, complicated questions into easy-to-understand uh, a, a terminology and examples. So I love those sites. But I saw one site on here that I'd never been to before. It was called thesciencebehindit.org. So I clicked on that and thought I would take a look at that. And when I clicked on that and saw the homepage, there was what appeared to be a disclaimer right at the very beginning. It said, does science disprove the existence of God? And it goes on to say, science doesn't have the processes to prove or disprove the existence of God. Science studies and attempts to explain only the natural world, while God, in most religions, is supernatural. So you see here, you got got two things we're dealing with. You have science, and then you have God, the supernatural. And, And science, it deals with the knowledge about, or the study of the natural world, based on facts through experiments and observation. And then on the other hand, you have God, who is supernatural, And as Britannica dictionary defines the supernatural, unable to be explained by science or the laws of nature. So according to the Bible, God created the world. God created the universe and everything in it. And so if you believe what scripture says about creation, then it's safe to say that God is not anti-science but rather God is outside of the realm of the understanding of science. See, science deals with natural things. God is supernatural or outside the realm of science. So all that to say, if you're trying to use science to prove that God exists or to prove a s- certain supernatural events or creation, then you're using the wrong tool because science can only prove things that are natural. Science cannot explain the supernatural. Now, when you find yourself exploring God and science, there's gonna be another tension that arises, and that is often of faith versus fact. So is science based on fact and Christianity based on faith? Well, according to Webster's Dictionary, a fact is a piece of information presented as having objective reality. And so what that simply means is that a fact is true for all people at all times, in all places. It doesn't matter if we like it or not, it's still true. So a fact is a fact, and, and that's a fact, right? But, but what do you usually think of when you hear the word faith? How would you define faith? Faith is trusting, faith is believing, faith is taking God, His word. Faith is having a confident assurance of unseen things. And in the Bible, the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, gives us an excellent definition for the word faith. It says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Faith is the evidence of things we cannot see. So what does that mean? The evidence of things that you cannot see. Well, let me ask you, have you ever seen the wind? No, you've never seen the wind, but you've seen the evidence of the wind, right? You've seen the effects of the wind, especially here in Florida. There are certain times, certain months throughout the year where you see the evidence of the wind. As a hurricane force winds come through and you look and all of a sudden there's this debris in your yard that wasn't there yesterday. And even without seeing the wind, you know that something happened, right? When you see the palm trees swaying, you're like, okay, something's going on, right? When you're outside and it's a cold wind, don't you feel that chill go up your back? So you can feel the evidence of the wind, even though it's something that you cannot see. Now, contrary to what many people believe or think, biblical faith is actually grounded in evidence. So Christianity is not a blind leap into the dark, but rather, Christianity is confidence in the truth of scripture grounded in objective and verifiable evidence. Now in the Bible, we're called to love God with all of our heart, right? But it also says we're called to love him with all of our mind. And so rather than asking us to take a, 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 blindly, a blind step into the dark, the Bible actually invites us to investigate its claims to test for truth and accuracy, I want to look at one specific example here from the Apostle Paul. This is in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to begin in verse 3. And the Apostle Paul writes, he says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead and on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of them who are are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Let's jump down to verse 14, and he says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. He says, Our faith is useless if Christ has not been raised from the dead. Now notice in this passage here in Corinthians that the Apostle Paul is listing people, many of whom are still alive, and so what he's doing, he's inviting the skeptics to go and talk to these eyewitnesses, to go and have a conversation about the things that he's writing about, the resurrection of Jesus. If you were here with us during Easter this past year, Pastor Trent spent a few weeks talking about the proof of the resurrection and having faith and assurance in that historical event of the resurrection. Now, notice Paul, when he's writing in here, he doesn't just simply write and say, You know, God told me to write this, so I'm gonna write it down. Nobody else was there, nobody else can prove it, and here's the gospel. Here's my letters, go ahead and just trust it. That's not what he's doing. He's saying go and talk to these people, investigate on your own to determine the evidence. So, how does science investigate evidence? Well, let's go back to uh, middle school for a moment. Who remembers the scientific method? A couple of hands. All right. Middle school was a long time ago. I get it, right? Now, depending on what decade you learned about the scientific method, your method might have had four steps or five. I think there's as many as seven. Uh, but they're, they're all very similar. When I learned the scientific method, we had five steps. And so let me run you through those right now. The first one is to ask a question or determine the problem. Step number two is to begin your research. Then step three, hypothesize. Step four, experiment and observe. And finally, step five is to draw a conclusion. Now here's an important thing to remember. When you're trying to prove something using the scientific method, the thing that you're setting out to prove must fall within the realm of the natural, the physical world. You can't use the scientific method to prove something beyond the physical world, something that is supernatural. Now, often when you find yourself in a conversation uh, with someone about God and science, somehow the conversation seems to drift toward creation or the existence of God. Have you ever noticed that? So, so kind of even though it's a, about science, it seems to go outside of the realm of science, trying to prove God or creation or the existence of God. So imagine being in a conversation with someone and trying to tell them about how God created the universe. And they might say something to you like, Well, you can't prove it scientifically, so it doesn't really count as real evidence. So what are you going to do in that moment? Are you just going to drop your head and walk away and feel like you have no argument? Or maybe you get flustered as you try to come up with with some answer. And the person that you're talking to, a lot of times when you're having that kind of a discussion, you can't just say, well, I just know God is real because I feel him. Like how, how well is that going to You might know that you know that you know that God is real because you've seen him work in his life. You talk to him. You feel him talking back to you, and you know that God is real. But how can you explain that to someone? And, and there's probably not a good chance that the person you're talking with, you're debating with, is going to want you to use scripture because if they're not believing in a God, are they going to believe in something that we call the word of God, right? And so you kind of feel like, I don't really know what to say. I don't have an argument in this case. But let me ask you in those moments, that conversation, where they're wanting you to to use a scientific argument to explain the existence of God or to explain creation, just remember, is science really the best tool to use when you're dealing with the supernatural or with a past event? Remember, science, science deals with the natural world, not the supernatural world, especially a supernatural event in the past. So science, although it can tell us some of the story, It's never going to be able to explain everything, especially something that happened so far back in the past, like creation, an event like creation where it had no eyewitnesses, you know, except for maybe Adam and Eve. So let me give you an example. Let's forget about thousands or even billions of years ago. Let's just try to prove something from the past that happened as early as this morning. So yell it out. Tell me what you had for breakfast. Cereal, bagel. Okay, uh, prove it. How would you go about proving something that you ate even just a couple hours ago without getting too gross? In the first service, we had somebody, somebody mimicking that he was going to throw up what he ate. You know, but we're not going to go that route, right? But where would you begin? Is there a scientific answer to that? Now, we can say, okay, let's investigate we could go to your house and we could look for crumbs around the table. We don't find any crumbs. Hey, let's look in the dishwasher. Maybe there's a utensil or a plate that has some artifacts or some evidence that we can use to determine. And then we say, well, actually, you know what? My, my family was there. We could ask my spouse. We could ask my kids. And so we start investigating the kids. One of the kids say that you had waffles. The other says you had pancakes. And we have two conflicting stories. So what do we do? And this is an event that happened just a few hours ago. It can be difficult to observe that and to prove that using even science. So what, are, what do you do in those moments? So even from a situation that just happened so recently, science isn't gonna be able to solve this breakfast mystery all on its own. So although science can help us explore, it's not gonna help us explain everything. Now, for those of you in here who believe, uh, believe in God and who believe in the supernatural, and, and sometimes we can get criticized for our faith, don't we? But did you know that even science requires faith? Even science requires faith. Scientists must, or science must have faith that there is order in the universe. Scientists must have faith that the world is orderly and behaves in a way that we can rely on. If it were chaotic, you could never make observations from the world or gain any true knowledge from science. Now let's consider Darwinian evolution for just a second. If this theory, Darwinian evolution, is true, there's no reason why there should be order to anything. Because according to the theory, the world came into existence by accident and we evolved by blind chance. So why should every day be 24 hours? Why should the earth rotate around the sun? Why should apple trees produce apples every time? How come sometimes you don't walk out to your apple tree and you just pick a pear or some grapes? It's always apples every time. How come when the apples fall from a tree, they always fall down? They never just accidentally fall up. Why is that the case? So the reason that these things happen is because there's order in the universe. It's not random. See, God established the world we live in with order. God created science. God created the laws of nature. In fact, science would be impossible without order. So while science must have faith that there's order in the universe, the Bible provides the framework for an orderly universe. Let's look at uh, Genesis 1, 1 to 5. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Let's go to the next verse here, verse three. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. So the foundational premise of the Bible is that God is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. It's not like God just took a bunch of random elements, threw them into a pot, mixed them together, and said, boom, let's see if this makes a universe. That's not how it happened. God didn't just, what God did is he created things in a logical and orderly fashion. But having faith in an orderly universe, that's not the only assumption that science must make. Science must have faith that our minds are trustworthy, Science must have faith that our minds are trustworthy. In other words, we must believe that when we look at the world through the right lens, we can actually see what is true. But if Darwinian evolution is true, our minds could just as easily be lying to us. So while science must have faith that our minds are trustworthy, the Bible provides an answer for our intellect being trustworthy. Genesis 1, 26 to 27 tells us that God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So if the Genesis account of creation is true, and if we're made in the image of God, then our minds are designed by God and are therefore trustworthy. You see, God made us to be creative. God made us to be intelligent, thinking beings who can bring life into this world. God gave humans an intellect that is unmatched by anything else in all of creation. Now you might be thinking, Pastor Jake, just because science must have faith that there's order in the universe, just because science must have faith that our minds are trustworthy, believing in God takes a lot of faith too. Believing that the Bible is real reliable, that takes faith. Believing that God created the world with order, that takes just as much faith. And if you're thinking that, I'm gonna agree with you and say you are absolutely right. My belief in God and in the reliability of his word is based on faith. But what I don't want you to miss here is that whether you're on the side of God or whether you're on the side of science, they both require a great amount of faith. They're they're both faith-based positions. Now, I wanna introduce you here to an argument that hopefully is gonna help strengthen your faith in God. And just for fun, in a few moments, we're even gonna do a little experiment. But this argument that I'm gonna introduce you to, it's called the creation argument, and it states this. The creation argument states that everything has to come from something. Now, that may sound pretty simple and straightforward, right? Everything has to come from something. Everything we see, everything we touch, everything we smell, everything we hear, it all has to come from something. Now, one of my favorite things to do is to go camping. I love being uh, out in the wilderness or the desert and being under a sky full of stars. I love sitting around the campfire. And so let's consider, for this example, the idea of a campfire, so at a campfire, you can see the flame. You can see the flame from the campfire because the, the flame's coming from the burning wood that came from somewhere, right? The wood most likely came from a forest or maybe from that six pack of logs that you bought at the Shell Station. Um, and then it's sitting in a metal, metal fire pit that came from a metal factory. You can smell a campfire because the wood is being burned. You can touch the campfire if you're dared to or if you're dumb enough to, um, and you can feel the heat that's being generated from the burning wood. You can even hear the campfire as it's popping and crackling as the wood is deconstructing. So you can see, touch, smell, hear the campfire, but only because all those elements came together, but they all came from something else. Does it make sense? Now let's take it to our faith. As we already read earlier in Genesis 1-1, the first verse in the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But that's not the consensus belief in our world today, is it? You know, in fact, in the schools, they're, even, they're, they're still teaching the theory, the theory of evolution. They're teaching the Big Bang theory. And so we have a choice. What do we do? What are we going to put our faith in? Are we going to put in our, our faith in a theory that has no eyewitnesses, and also I don't know many people who are willing to die for the theory of evolution, but I know many, many heroes of our faith who were willing to die because of Christ, who were willing to die because they put their faith in God. And so you have this theory from this account that no eyewitnesses from whether you say it's thousands or billions of years ago, or you can choose to put your faith in God. But whatever you do, they both require faith. So which one is right? So I want to share a little story here, and, and maybe this will help. Now, when I was a, a little kid, I was a, a bit of a pyro. And i uh, got this picture here, and this this isn't from a few when I was a kid. This is actually just me a few years ago. So this is us gearing up for the 4th of July. Um, I will often swing by the those firework tents when they're having their, you know, 50% off sales, and I'll spend a couple of hundred dollars, and I'll come home and show up with a truckload of goodies, and my wife is upset every single time I do it. And now... I love, I love lighting off fireworks, and I love letting my boys light off fireworks. They'll be out there with the Roman candles, with the mortars, and they'll light it and they'll run away. And my wife and I are in agreement on most things in life. The 4th of July is not one of them. <laughs> So she's up here nodding her head, saying nope. Uh, she will often be like, I can't do it, I can't take it. She will leave the lawn chair, go inside, sit with the dogs and comfort them while we're outside burning our eyebrows off. Anyway, so we're out there letting stuff off, having a blast, literally, no pun intended. Um, but anyway, this, I had this from an early childhood, and I think most young boys are like that, many young girls too, where you, you learn to play with fire and you start to have fun with fire. So I remember being four or five, and my parents would let me use those sparklers, right? You could write your name in the sky, and I remember holding that thing until the very last possible second when it's down here and it's starting to, to burn the little hairs on your hand. It'll hold on to that the last second. And then I remember my brother and I, we found uh, smoke bombs, these little tiny green and blue balls, and my mom would be in the kitchen doing dishes or cooking dinner. We'd light it on fire and roll it into the kitchen. Within a few seconds, the whole kitchen has this green, nasty, stinky smoke, and she would get so upset when we did that. Um, I remember being at some friend's house, and we would take firecrackers and go down to the the, the river and try to set different things, you know, explosions, and, and we started mixing different materials together. We'd start putting some gunpowder and things and trying to make our explosions bigger and bigger. Am I the only pyro in the room, or do we have some others out there? I know the first service we had a whole bunch of guys who were, who were Relating with me. And so it was just a lot of fun. I remember one camping trip. It was, a, I was in high school and it was a guy's camping trip. We went out and I thought it would be funny. I snuck some uh, explosives. And I, well, I mean, they were fireworks, they weren't explosives. So I took these little firecrackers and I put them in the marshmallows. I put the marshmallow on a stick and I handed it to a guy and said, hey, let's make s'mores. And so they they casually take their their marshmallow on a stick, put it in there. Once the wick catches fire, marshmallow everywhere. And let me tell you, hot marshmallow on your skin does not feel good. Uh, But there was just something in me. I like to play with matches, like to play with fire, like to try to make explosions. Now, that was all fun and games. Um, But like I said, once I started to figure out that you could use different materials and make bigger explosions. It just got fun, and so the larger the explosion, the more more fun we had. Now, it's not very practical to do a a firework demonstration in here today as much as I would love to, but (laughs) I do kinda wanna show you a little bit of how the Big Bang works, and so I've got a much safer demonstration uh, to, to show you today, and so I've got a candle And candles are not like the most manly thing, right? Now, I know there was uh, one of those candle stores had a huge sale yesterday. How many ladies were were there just the other day? I know my wife spent like over $100 there. That's a a conversation for later. Uh, But anyway, so, but I I found this candle and I really liked it because it's kind of shaped like a football and it's even the, the color of a football. So I thought, there, there, that's a manly candle right there. All right. So in just a moment, we're gonna do a, a little experiment with the candle and see, we're not gonna make a bang. So nobody has to back up any rows. You're, you're gonna be safe here today. So. But I asked Ricky to help me out here. He's gonna come up and volunteer. And I was talking this uh, message through with Ricky earlier this week, and he got really excited. He's like, man, I wish I was teaching on this because it's part of Ricky's testimony. Um, Before he was a Christ follower, he was really into science. And so he was really excited about this talk. So I thought he'd be the the perfect volunteer uh, today. So we're going to see if we can, like I said, we're not trying to create a universe here. We're just going to see if two men can make a single flame. We're just going to see if that can happen. So first, everything, science, creation, God, it all requires faith. So do you have faith that that candle can produce a flame? If it's anywhere near my wife, it can. He says if it's anywhere near his wife, then yes, it can. Okay, absolutely. Probably the second that she walks home in the door, candles are being lit. Yes, our house works the same way. All right, so all right, so a little bit of faith. So let's, uh, let's have faith together okay. and let's uh, believe that that can produce a flame. And so how long are we supposed to do this for? So we, maybe our faith, this is a faith issue here. Um, it looks like it got everything there. We got the candle, we got the wick. It's supposed to produce a flame, but I think we're missing something. So I think we probably need a match, right? Yeah. Is the match the, the last element this needs? Yeah. All right, so we just throw the match in there. <laughs> Man, we, we got some faith issues to work on here. Okay, so we've got all the right, everything that we need to make a flame. We got the candle, we got the wick, we even got the match. So are you telling me that there needs, even when you have all the right things, you still need something or someone else to be involved? That's a good point, we might come back to that later. So, all right, let's go over here and let's see if we can get this lit. So, I'm gonna have you do here. I'm looking at the clock, make sure I don't go over like I did last week. So, all right, go ahead, light this flame real quick. And then, just for sake of time, if you can just run over there and get that lit, that would be awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I think you gotta put it in there, so. Man, yeah, we, we are not so good at this, okay? We need some ladies to help us out here. What are we doing wrong? Let's try it again, all right. So I've seen candles light before. I know it's possible. I know this can be done. All right, so let's go ahead and light that. we will try this again. You know, I think some of the issue of probably what happened last time, Ricky, is once we got that lit, I kind of put the pressure on you to run across the stage. And so by the time we got there, it had blown out. So yeah, the mic, what happened to you? <laughs> I think we took too long this time. <laughs> All right, sorry, I'll get out of your way this time. Go ahead, light a match. I'm going to stand up back here, and then you just walk across the room and light the, the candle for us. That'd be great. So, <sighs> see, and then if you were here last week, sometimes things just happen out of nowhere, right? And so there, I, I, you finally had the flame lit, but we didn't quite get to the candle. I'm going to stay out of it completely this time. I'm going to let Ricky go next to the candle. And we're gonna see if he can light this candle and we can get a simple flame here. So, let's see if we can do this. It really wants to do it. Okay, I think, I think we have, we have fire. Yes, good job, good job. Give it up for Ricky. So, thank you, high five, good job. It took two guys to light a candle, but we did it. All right, so, as you can see from this example, Even if you have all the right materials needed to make a single flame, there's still some other elements involved. Now think about that when it comes to a universe, and not just a universe full of just random stuff, but a universe that makes sense, that has things like like day and evening and seasons. We have such an intelligently designed universe that we live in, and just the four components that we need to hear It's just amazing to think about. Now, let's look at all the things that we needed here. So first, we had to have the right materials. We had to have the candle, we had to have the wick, we had to have the match, um, but then we also needed precision. We needed coordination, we needed timing, uh, timing. And so at minimum, we needed four parameters to make a single flame. How many parameters are necessary for a planet to support life? Well, astronomer Carl Sagan once announced that there were only two necessary parameters needed for a planet to support life. One was the right kind of star, and two was the planet the right distance from the star. But as we learned more and more about the universe, the number of parameters grew from two to 10, and then to 50, and currently it's over 200 parameters that we believe are needed for a planet to support life. Now, one of the most interesting parameters uh, is the need, get this, for a planet the size of Jupiter to be in the same solar system. If our solar system didn't have a planet the size of, of Jupiter with its own gravitational force, then Earth would basically become an interstellar dartboard for any debris floating around out there. Now... Forget about the 200-plus uh, parameters that are needed to sustain a life, uh, life-supporting planet. Let's just focus for a second on just this single flame and the few parameters that were needed to create just the single flame. Think about this. In all my years of playing around with fire and matches and fireworks and explosives, one thing I noticed, it always ended in destruction. There was never a time where I lit something on fire and boom something intelligent was created. It was always a pile of ashes, sometimes some burn marks on my fingers or a few missing eyebrows. But nothing ever, when I just put a bunch of materials together and watched it explode, created something that gave life. It was always destruction. Now I show you all this so you can see that we had to put together specific materials matched with precision, coordination, and timing just to get a single flame. Now experts have also said that the way that the the universe expanded, that it had to expand at just the right speed. If it was any faster or any slower, it would have imploded upon itself. I think the only way that that could happen is if you have a God, an all-knowing, all-powerful God who's not just randomly throwing stuff out into the universe but a God who understands what this planet needs to sustain life, what the universe needs. So, let's consider the amount of faith that science relies on for a moment. If the world began with a Big Bang, that's gonna raise some big questions for me. First is, where did the material come from that started the Big Bang? There had to be material that caused the blast, right? Right? Where did all the material come from? What caused the Big Bang? Maybe the blast came from atoms and particles that merged together and connected and collided with each other, but that still doesn't answer the question, where did those atoms and particles come from? But yet here we are, living proof, living in a world that we can see, that we can hear, that we can smell, that we can touch, that we can feel, but we don't have any any explanation for the origin of the materials that created all those things. And for me, that's just not good enough. That requires an extremely amount of faith. So let's go back to our verse in Genesis. The very first verse in the whole Bible. Yeah, it is great. I I love reading the Bible, but you don't need to read the entire Bible. You don't have to study the entire Bible. In the very first verse of the Bible, we get this truth. The very first verse in the Bible gives us an answer for time, for space, and for matter. In the beginning, there's time. God created the heavens, there's space. And the earth, there's matter. Everything in creation comes from a loving, creative, and intelligent being who intentionally created the world. From the very first verse in the Bible, there's absolutely no confusion on how things appeared, where they came from, and what their purpose is. In the Kalam cosmological argument, say that five times fast, it states that whatever began to exist has a cause. It says, the universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. If the universe has a cause, what? or who caused it? Who created it to exist? So clearly, the universe has a clause. So now you gotta make the, you gotta put your faith in something. Was it created by chance, or was it created on purpose by a designer? Whichever one you pick, they both require faith. Do you wanna put your faith in chance, or do you wanna put your faith In God. And the only way our universe exists, or even just our own planet exists, is if the right materials, exact precision, coordination, and timing are all in sync during the phenomena of creation. And for me, the best answer for that is God. And so naturally, you might be thinking, well, Pastor Jake, then who created God? God. If everything has to be created, then who created God? That's a really good question and here's an answer for that. God can't be created. If he was, he'd no longer be God because then something or someone would be greater than him. That goes against the very definition of God which says he's infinite, eternal. He has no beginning, he has no end. And because of that, he is the only thing that can create something out of nothing. God is infinite. Eternal, has no beginning, has no end. Everything has to come from something. Materials don't just randomly collide and create an intelligent universe. It all comes from something. Everything you can see, everything you can touch, hear, smell, and feel, it all came from something. And the most logical answer for that is God. Just like it says in the very first verse of our Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this is where it gets really exciting for us. Because if everything in creation comes from a loving, creative, intelligent creator who intentionally created the world with order, then that creator also created you. You're not the result. You are not the result of some random space accident. You were created by design. Genesis 2.7 says that the Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. You You were created intentionally. And so if you were created on purpose, then this creator who created you, he also created you with purpose. Does anybody believe today that they were created on purpose for a purpose? Yeah. Hands up all around the room. You were created on purpose for a purpose. If you want to study this further, there is a phenomenal book out there by by pastor and author Rick Warren called The Purpose Driven Life. You can find that on Amazon, you can find it anywhere. It's the the number one selling book outside of the Bible. Purpose Driven Life talks about the purpose that we have, I highly recommend it. If you you can't get your hands on a copy, come by the church office, we have a few copies there, we'd love to get one to you. So continue to explore your purpose. You can also uh, continue to read the Bible and you will find so many verses that talk about your purpose. Psalm one thirty nine thirteen says, "You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb." Jeremiah one five says, "I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb, before you were born I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations." This verse might be familiar to some of you. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says, "For I know the plans I have for you," says the Lord, "They are plans for good, not for disaster." plans to give you a future and a hope. So as we close today, remember, God is not anti-science. God is a supernatural being who is not constrained by the laws of science. God supernaturally created the heavens and the earth. God created science. God created intelligence. God created order. God created life. God created love. God created light from darkness, and God created you. God breathed into Adam the breath of life. Every breath in your lungs that you have already taken, every breath that you will already breathe is a gift created by God. You were created by God on purpose and for a purpose. Let's pray. Father, we come before you humbly. God, there's so many things about the universe that we will never fully know, that that we could never fully understand or explain. And so God, it is a choice that we, we choose. We choose to put our faith in you. We choose to put our faith in a God who created us on purpose for a purpose. God, we believe that you have a plan for each and every one of us today. And God, as we continue to explore what that plan and what that purpose is, God, we pray that you will reveal that to us. God, we were created in your image. We were created to be creators. And so God, show us where we can create life. Show us where we can create hope, where we can create love in the world that you have put us in, in our city, in our county, in our state, and in our nation and in our world. We choose to put our faith in you. And thank you, Father, for the gift, for the gift of life. In your name we pray. Amen.